Hey racers, the 2021 season is about to kick off, so now's the perfect time to refresh your car and reload your shelves. And there's no better place to do that than Premium Sprint Parts. Premium Sprint Parts is your one-stop shop for all things sprint car parts, offering everything from wings to wheels, new or used. They've been a proud supporter of the show since day one, and are located conveniently close to the sprint car capital of the world, Knoxville Raceway. Go to premiumsprintparts.com to check out their inventory, or call 515-371-9511 to talk with a sales representative. Thanks, Premium Sprint Parts. Hey, race fans. Welcome back to the Bench Racing Podcast, episode 24, presented by Premium Sprint Parts. As always, I'm Ian Farthing, your host for the show. Lots of news and notes to run down since our last episode. Uh, to start off, Rico Abreu essentially fired himself from his own team to join uh, Sides Motorsports, fielding Jason Sides' car with the World of Outlaws. As the co-owner, Darren Pittman is searching for a ride now after his business plans fell through, which is disappointing to see. I was excited to see what he had in store. Uh, The Casey Kane Racing number 9 is back on the road with the World of Outlaws for the first time since 2018 with Darren in the car. James McFadden is going to be running that car, but due to COVID issues, he's stuck in Australia, so Casey Kane will be running the car for the first few weeks and will be getting show-up points for McFadden. Logan Shuhart won the Volusia opener uh, with the All-Stars. He beat Donnie Schatz, who was having a pretty good run, but in the end, Logan got him. For our guest interview this week, Bennett Gooch zoomed into the studio. He's a dwarf car racer from Northern California, as well as a pit crew guy for our episode 20 guest, Tanner Holmes. We talk about a wide variety of subjects, including his background in asphalt, with his dad being a pit crew for a NASCAR team, coming from a racing family, iRacing, and much more. Let's jump right into it and roll tape on this interview with Bennett Gooch here on the Bench Racing Podcast, presented by Premium Sprint Parts. Joining us here on the Bench Racing Podcast on the Zoom line is Bennett Gooch. And Bennett, how are you doing? We're doing pretty good. Uh, You know, just got in from working on the car this morning. Uh, The work never stops, and uh, we're doing pretty good. How about yourself? Not too bad. So for those who don't know, could you tell us a little bit about your interest in work in the field of dirt racing? Yeah, yeah. So... uh, I made a video a while back on how I actually got into racing and it started when my dad was on a truck team in NASCAR. He was a tire catcher first season with, um, I think it was Steve Park and maybe another guy. But anyways, when I was of age, I think I was five years old. He took me down to the Red Bluff Outlaws. And then, uh, ever since then he was like, Hey, do you want to race? And I was hooked on it since I was five. So I've just been racing outlaw carts at Red Bluff, um, ever since then. And then I've only hot lapped a late model one time, and then now we're actually taking the step up into a bigger car, such as a dwarf car. So I'm super excited to get into that and uh, continue climbing the ranks and stuff. But that's pretty much how I got started in it, just because my dad was super interested in racing and stuff. Yeah, so you really came from a racing family? Yeah, yeah. Um, My dad actually had never raced before, but he'd been friends with other racers who raced. um, I think they were like some sort of road course car down in Willows and stuff, but he's just been a big race fan since. And uh, he had the opportunity to be a NASCAR on a team. And then um, I'm first generation racer, I guess. I'm the first one to actually wheel a car. Did you jump straight into a 250 outlaw cart when you started racing? No. So when I started, it's actually funny. Uh, I think when I started, they were starting to develop like an actual good cage cart chassis. So I actually started in beginner box and I don't even know what the motors were back then. I think they were like old, old Subarus or something like that. And then um, all the way up until uh, the open class and stuff now is so advanced, but no, I started in beginner box division, then 
worked my way up to box stock 250 and open and so on. Um, and now they just incorporated the OI division. So I never had the opportunity to kind of, you know, get into a 500 with, without racing the big dogs right out the gate. Yeah. So how did you, when did you know that it was time to jump, to get out of the outlaw cart and then get into the bigger cars like the dwarf car? Um, well, the thing is with like, so Red Bluff is such a competitive place and that's why we love it so much. But uh, a huge part of that is kind of the motor game. And we had a good motor. Our motor builder uh, built us a very strong motor, but you know, we we're just spending so much money on these outlaw carts. And that's one of the things that we kind of realized getting into, you know, an outlaw cart should be an entry level type of race car, you know, in my opinion, but um, they've gotten so expensive because they're such good quality and everything. Uh, I've just, you know, I was on speed week with Tanner and I saw the dwarf cars and I was telling my dad, I was like, you know, uh, we can race outlaw carts forever and whatnot. And they're always going to be right here. So I figured, you know what, let's do something different because we're kind of both getting burnt out on it a little bit. So that's why we jumped into the dwarf cars and uh, we're getting ready to make our first start here soon. And uh, I think it's going to be super cool to try a whole new car, especially one with one with suspension. Yeah, the there's not like true dwarf cars around here. They out here in the Midwest, they call them mod lights. They're like little yep. modifieds, but they have the same type of engines and they the car counts are always pretty big and they actually they move. They go pretty fast. Oh yeah. The, that's what the, like, that's the thing that interested me the most is, so I'm someone that really enjoys good racing and I don't really care if it costs 50 bucks or $50,000, like anywhere in between, if it's good racing, that's what I want to do. And so when we were on speed week, uh, I kind of got like interested in the, the division because there's so many cars that were showing up to each night. And then now that I know so much about it, like the WSDCA series um, that runs like seven different tracks, four different States, uh, the last Marysville National, they set a record car count of 127 cars to turn out. So um, split between three classes, the rookie, pro, and vet class, I think that's a pretty good, decent car count. And you're just racing some of the best guys. I mean, um, like the NASCAR champion in the truck series, Sheldon Creed this year, or last year, he actually races door cars uh, down south and stuff. So um, it's cool. You know, you can definitely make a jump out of these into the next uh, next step up into bigger cars. Yeah, the dwarf cars. So I am out of Kansas, and so there's just mm -hmm. like one track around here. There's not very many, but still not, you know, very much known for racing, but we still get 20 or 30 mod lights every Friday night out there. Yeah, the mod lights seem interesting. Um, I think I've only seen one or two of them come back and run with us on the West Coast. Um, I'm not too sure chassis-wise how different they really are. But I'm not sure. Also, I don't think we really have big manufacturers for mod lights uh, on the West Coast, because I know on the West Coast, we have, you know, probably a solid five guys that build chassis. And um, I just don't think mod lights are as big over here. It'd be super cool to see them come over here and race more. And I would like to get the opportunity to go out there and race more. And uh, I don't know if they're competitive with each other, but they are definitely pretty close to uh, the same thing. They got the same motor and stuff like that. Yeah, I did see someone brought a full-blown dwarf car out to run with the mod lights and they didn't do half bad mm -hmm. yeah i've seen uh it's kind of there's like three divisions there's the dwarf cars the mod lights and then the like dirt legend cars mm -hmm. so really pretty much they're all just like small variations of each other so um i think it'd be kind of cool to go back there and race uh with the mod light guys and i don't know track track wise like rules or whatnot but i think it'd be kind of cool to go back there and you know, see how see how we hold up and represent the west coast yeah. So, um, have you fired up the dwarf car? Is it running? 
So our motor builder, uh, this used to be his old bike until he actually got in an accident with it a while back. And then um, the motor and everything's still good out of it. So I think like three, two, two, three months ago, we actually did get the motor to turn over, like it started to run. Uh, right now, I just actually yesterday finished all the fuel, the plumbing, um, the water plumbing in it and drain the oil. So we're going to put new oil in it and actually put some fuel in it and let it burn a cycle through. And uh, I think I think it's going to be good. So, yeah, the motor will run pretty good. Uh, we're just getting ready to fire it up for the first time because we just got our headers actually too. Uh, we had to fabricate or like we had to modify them from who we got them from, but uh, they're all fitted and ready to go. Yeah, I saw that video. That was pretty smart how he just heated up that corner and bent it out so it didn't really hit the door. Yeah, it was um, the old one we had. So that's the thing is they run the GSX-R1000, which is, which is a Suzuki, and then they run the Cowies, the Kawasaki. And the guy we got it from had the motor and the engine bay set up for a Kawasaki. So we had to put mounts on it for like a GSX-R. And then the header we got from the Cowie didn't fit correctly. So we sold that off with the old Cowie that we got. And then we had to modify um, the header and muffler we got from this company to fit the GSXR. And the way it was is just like a little, like it's a pretty good pipe and it was just like a little too tall. So the door wouldn't open all the way, but uh, we got her all dialed in and we sh should be ready to run here soon. So how did you meet Tanner and get connected with him? Uh, that's like a, that's a pretty good question. A lot of people ask us that we might have to make a video on that too, because so I think when he came to Red Bluff for the first time, I believe I was in the box stock class and he was in beginner box. And where I pit at Red Bluff is kind of like, you know, out in the boonies, the far, far away from the track entrance and exit. So he, when he showed up for the first time, kind of pitted next to us out there. And I don't think it was like the first day we met, but our other buddy pitted like, it's kind of hard to describe, um, kind of more near the exit of the track. So I was friends with a kid named Brian McGann and me and Brian were friends. And then Tanner, um, we just all became friends at the track. And, you know, back in the day when we're just playing with hot wheels and the dirt in between races and stuff, but yeah, we pretty much met at Red Bluff. And then ever since then, we've been like best friends, uh, you know, just keeping in touch, making videos. And when he started the YouTube channel, I was all about it. I was like, this, this is super cool. And then you see how much he's grown now and, you know, we're just trying to continue together to not only grow the social media side of things, but also our racing careers. Mm -hmm. So uh, over your time racing Red Bluff, how much did the track change each year? Um, that's a good question. I think I don't know specifically um, how many promoters we've gone through. I think it's like two or three, though. And I do know back when I was in 250, the main events, uh, when you rolled out for the main event, uh, you're most always likely going to use an 11. So that's like our tire compound on the right rear. And then towards the end of my career in the 250s, we would gamble and go with a 33 when the track got pretty dry slick so that they heat up, grip up, and we'd have a lot of traction to go forward. Well, nowadays, it kind of seems like a no-brainer. Uh, right out of the heat races, you're just going straight to a 33 because the tracks now in the main event are super hard, abrasive, slick, and they're getting ready to take rubber. So uh, the track has definitely developed and changed a lot, actually. And I think there's a lot less banking than uh, when I think it was Robert Carroll, I believe, or Bob knows Bob. It wasn't Robert Carroll. It was Bob who used to build the tracks and they were pretty banked before Ollie took it over his son. Mm -hmm. Do you run iRacing much? I've seen some videos where with you and Tanner doing it, but do you really do that a lot now? Um, I try to. The thing is, is we travel so much. So like if I'm not here, I'm 
you know, going up to Tanner's or whatnot. And then if I'm not at Tanner's, I'm usually here working on the race car. We're going to a race or a family vacation or something like that. But I do actually play iRacing a good amount when I can, usually later at night. Uh, I'm not on most of the time during the days, but I do like to play a lot of asphalt stuff on there. I like to race like the uh, B class and C class, uh, the Xfinity cars and the truck series and stuff like that. But dirt racing is fun too. Uh, I just like tend to like racing asphalt stuff quite a bit. Yeah. Have you done the legends on there much? Uh, the dirt legends. Yeah. I've, I've played with dirt legends on there. Um, I've kind of like learned how the chassis work and like kind of set up ideas so I can try to relate it to the real world and stuff, but I do like racing the dirt legends. Uh, my favorite track obviously is Lanier up there. Uh, you can just get rolling around the top so fast in the dirt legend, keep it straight as possible and you'll be pretty good. Yeah, I haven't, I just started running the legends a few weeks ago and it has grip through the start of the corner, but once you get back on the gas, sometimes it'll kind of, you'll kind of spin the wheels a little bit. Yeah, the legend cars are pretty unique. Um, I think they're definitely more of a car you have to wheel, like in a sense, whereas like a sprint car, you don't turn that much. You let the car kind of set in the corner and then you drive it out straight. Whereas a legend car, uh, you don't have the big right rear. You don't have any wings or anything like that. You kind of just got to get in there, throw her in hard. And then um, obviously, if you can keep her straight, the, the better, depending on the track you're on. But they're definitely a car you have to manhandle a lot more than like a sprint car or so. Yeah, the sprint cars with the wing speed, like you said, and the stagger, you, you really have to be smooth. But with the legends and the late models and the full body stuff, it you have to really drive it hard. Oh, yeah. And the thing about those two is um, it's harder to keep them straight, but the straighter you are going to keep them, the lot faster you're going to be. So that's just like a good key if you're trying to get into like racing those and be more competitive in like an official race or something like that. The straighter you keep a big car that's like, um, you know, a modified or a, a bomber or something like that. I would call a bomber like the C-class stuff. Uh, the straighter you keep them in the grip, the, the way better you're going to be. Yeah, I do mostly sprint cars, so it's probably pretty comical for everyone else who's used to driving light models on there whenever I jump in there. Um, so how do the setups different from an outlaw cart to a sprint car? Because I know you do some work on the car with Tanner. Yeah, so uh it's kind of that's a good question too i come into like outlaw carts and i know everything about setup that you could need on there uh we scale nightly when i used to run the outlaw cart and stuff uh i don't know too much about the big car yet all i know is we're going from a chassis that flexes to now we have a chassis and then shocks and springs so i'm gonna definitely have to learn how to set up a car with suspension and that's definitely something that i'm a little nervous about uh, i don't want to flip the car for sure and it's just going to kind of feel weird getting into a big track with big ruts and stuff compared to an outlaw cart. Uh, usually the track surfaces are so smooth. Uh, rarely do we get a, you know, a motocross track out there, but uh, um, setup wise, uh, there's just like, you know, outlaw carts, they don't have too much to worry about. Usually throughout a night, all you're going to change is probably tire pressures and you're going to bring your right rear in or out. That's about all I would change on an outlaw cart at a night in Red Bluff. Um, whereas a dwarf car, you know, you're going to change a whole bunch of stuff. Probably. I, I don't know personally, so I can't really speak too much on it, but I do know the guys that I have talked to, they do change tire pressures. I don't know about compounds very much, but they also do change like springs and chocks throughout the night as well. Mm -hmm. I saw some videos on your YouTube channel of you taking pictures and video at the wild wing shootout. So what's mm -hmm. the story behind that? How did you get started doing that? Um, so when Tanner had his first sprint car race, 
I came up and uh, I remember we were, he was doing his YouTube channel. And then like, I kind of, I kind of filmed a little bit on that. And then I filmed Tanner a little bit. And then ever since then, I've kind of just like, not because Tanner's asked me to, but I just like grabbing the camera and then shooting Tanner as he, um, you know, does his videos and stuff. And then I was, I remember it was like on speed week two years ago, Tanner was like, Hey, you know, it'd be cool if you went on the infield at cottage Grove and got some infield shots. And so I was always, I'm always like kind of nervous to go in and out of a big track because I don't want to get anyone's way. It's obviously dangerous too. If you don't know what you're doing, like you don't want to get hit by a big car or whatever. But um, I remember I went in there, shot some shots and I was like, dang, this is pretty cool. It just made the content so much better. So ever since then um, at the wild wing shootout, you know, you just, uh, you kind of go find the right people to talk to. And they're like, you know what, if you're smart, you know what you're doing. Uh, you just go in there and just shoot for them. The stills I take are usually for Tanner. And then me personally, I just like look like, you know, taking racing pictures that look cool. I don't like sell them or like offer them to any other drivers. I mean, if they want them, they can have them. But uh, I mainly just shoot for Tanner on the inside with his uh, with his camera and then my DSLR. I had a photographer for dirt racing on here a while back, and that kind of prompted me. I I pit crewed for Wayne Johnson at an outlaw race, and I just mm -hmm. have a camera out and was kind of shooting pictures and it was pretty fun yeah it's cool to see the work you can do uh shooting a race car is a lot different than like shooting a still shot of a plant or something like that uh, I've, I've only taken like nature photography when we've gone on like family vacations or something but shooting a race car like i just love the sights i love the sounds and then to watch you know unique shots of a car setting into a corner you can really look at you know how much wing how much winged over they are um you can really see a lot of cool things as well as like, um, like in drag racing, you know how the tires compress, um, like on NHRA cars. Well, you can actually see that on the dirt car as well. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, but like I said, I don't really take them for like anyone else. It's kind of more exclusive just for Tanner, but, um, you know, if someone wanted them, they, you know, they definitely could have them. Yeah. When I was just snapping pictures, I, um, I had the shutter speed way too slow. So even when they were just rolling through the pits uh, yeah. in motor heat, it looked like they were going a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. That's uh, setting wise. I don't have the best settings yet. I still need to figure out some of those settings. My mom's a professional photographer and I just don't know why I haven't had the time to go talk to her and be like, Hey, you know, what's some really good settings so I can get some really crisp shots. But I think what's kind of unique um, that I'm starting to think about is like, so if you kind of think about this track photographers, they kind of all shoot the same in a sense, like uh, weekly. I've noticed like some track photographers kind of just shoot the same angles, um, the same lighting, like the same, like, it's just kind of, I don't know how you'd say it. Like um, it's not really unique each weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of so, shots. Yeah. Yeah. So what I want to do with Tanner and we've definitely talked about this in the future is we want to get angles and shots and stuff that are super unique that are like, wow, I didn't even think about getting a shot like that or this. So uh, we've got some things in the work that I think will be cool. Um, I have a, f a friend that actually shoots pro rodeos. He's going to come shoot me in Marysville, and he takes some pretty stellar shots. Yeah, um, the GoPro angles you guys have on the sprint car and outlaw car are pretty cool. Yeah, we. Uh, the only time I think we've failed is we've broken a lot of cases, obviously, on the sprint car just because rocks and stuff. But I remember at Test and Tune this year for Red Bluff, uh, we put a GoPro on the Nerf bar of the outlaw cart on the right side. And in Tanner's last video, you could see he used that angle on the four stroke. Well, on the two stroke, it just rattles the hell out of it so much that it actually broke the mount right as he rolled out. He wasn't even up to speed yet. So 
it would be cool to see a nerf bar shot definitely a red bluff but um yeah we've only broke i think two or three mounts and then a good amount of cases from rocks yeah it's it's pretty cool that tanner has white gloves because you can see exactly what he's doing and all the gopro shots mm -hmm. yeah I, I his gloves are pretty cool i think i need to get some i just have like the generic like black ones but you know it is what it is i actually didn't use gloves for a long time until a friend of mine uh who races a nascar brendan gone he was like uh, you know, you probably should, you know, wear gloves because, you know, if you get stuck or somewhere, there's a fire. It's just, it's better to take the extra precaution than to, you know, wish you hadn't. I have a pair of white gloves that I was given by a friend of mine who drives a sprint car and they're really nice. It's nice. They're really comfortable. You get your hands, get used to them. Cause I run them on the sim. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. I, I don't see that's a lot of people run. Like I've seen guys that run like full suits, shoes, helmets, gloves and everything to run on the sim uh when i run on the sim i just usually you know i'm just sitting in my chair wearing shorts and a shirt and no gloves or nothing i i don't know i feel like on the sim since you don't have the full feeling of the car i like to like utilize as much feeling in the pedal and the wheels as possible so if you're wearing like shoes or gloves or something like that it kind of just like dims the feeling down just mm -hmm. a bit yeah i don't i don't wear like a suit or anything i just wear some gloves and i race in socks because you get better pedal feel that's that's what i do yeah i use socks because like i don't know my pedals are old i don't know if you've seen my my rigs from 2004 so the throttle sticks and i feel bad for the sprint car guys because when i'm getting a roll out um you can't shift so you're always in gear mm -hmm. well my throttle will stick and in staging i'll rear end someone and mm -hmm. they all get pissed because they get a two or four x and i'm like sorry bud but i just forget to hold the brake up but I think it's about time that we upgrade here. Um, the Momo 2004 setup's fast, but she's just not cutting it anymore. Yeah, I I had a Thrustmaster RGT that wasn't even technically compatible with iRacing since I got it. And I wanted to get a Logitech G29, which still is not that great of a setup, but I wanted to get that as a Christmas gift. And then the mm -hmm. night before Christmas, boom, my brake pedal completely snaps in half. It was yeah. just that old and brittle. Yeah, uh, for dirt, you definitely probably need the brake, but asphalt, I think I could go without the brake pedal. I'll just downshift, blow the motor, but hey, we're slowing yeah. down for pit road. Yeah, the, the, the sprint car is fun because I found the setting where you can set it so there's no shift assist, so you have to use a mm -hmm. clutch when you're using a manual thing like on asphalt. But on dirt, you can actually stall the car, so you have to be mindful of avoiding crashes in situations where you can spin out. Yeah, that's the thing with iRacing, because uh, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they allow a controller, right? You can play on a controller. And some so. people, yeah, some people do, and I know a lot of people aren't fans of it because people just tend to not keep a straight line when you're using a controller. But I think iRacing, in a sense, should, uh, you don't want to, like, spend people out of their budget, for example. So, like, if you're using an old setup like mine, like, I only have gas and brake. I don't have a clutch or anything like that. But if iRacing was to develop it so where like people have to start using clutches, uh, you know, like you say, the sprint car is going to die if it stalls out or whatever. I think just to add to the realism, that's a lot better. But at the same time, people that might not be able to afford that setup right now, um, they're just kind of out of luck. So that's kind of like a 50-50 toss up thing on what you prefer. Yeah, they've done a pretty good job of keeping it so you can be a fairly casual racer and still have fun and then also be hardcore and get that realistic experience yeah um i don't know i've only ran i've actually when we were in vegas for the nfr we went to the shelby museum and they had a full rotation simulator for um like driving a mustang 
and on a track and i don't know what it's like some european track or something like that um it's crazy to like actually be in a simulator where you feel the roll over you feel the brake the acceleration like i don't know how all those things happen but it's pretty awesome when you are in one of those so uh i could only imagine being in one of those simulators compared with i racing would be a super cool experience but that's probably a good 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 amount of money right there yeah, my first ever like exposure to sim racing, I was in Tampa for a vacation and they had this place where you they had some motion simulators where you were driving an F1 car and I loved it so mm -hmm. much. I came home and I was like, I have to get a simulator. Yeah, I think someday a motion simulator like um, would be super cool. I don't know if I'm a big fan of the VR yet. I've tried VR a little bit, um, kind of just gave me a headache. But, and I don't, I don't know if it's just a VR system I use, but it just kind of seemed a little blurry and grainy. Like it wasn't as clear as like an actual screen would be um, on a desktop. Yeah. So getting back to more real racing, what do you like? What are some of your favorite aspects of going on the road with Tanner and the gang? Uh, Tanner and his family are pretty much like my second family. So uh, even when we're not on the road and stuff, it's just like a whole nother like house I get to go to where everyone just feels like family. And then when we get to go on the road, um, it's super cool to experience the country and just check out places. And most of the time when you're actually on a race team traveling, it's at night, so you don't get to see much. But um, when you wake up, you're usually at the next racetrack. And I know I think that's kind of cool because you get to sleep for sure throughout the night. But um, it's definitely fun. A little bit long. Last trip was long, 20 hours there uh felt super uh super long but 20 hours back felt like that i don't know why but uh, it's definitely a cool experience and i love traveling for races and plus when my family travels we always drive i've only flown once and that was last year when we went skydiving so other than that i don't really have any memory uh on a big plane a commercial airplane so i'm good with driving for sure yeah um also it seems pretty nice going uh across the country in that super nice toter home yeah um the new toter home they got is is different it's a little smaller in a sense when it's all closed up just because they had to have the back removed so that we could put the fifth wheel hitch on for the new trailer but other than that um it was just a little tight but not bad yeah um i can see that would certainly be better than flying on a commercial jet because it's really just like a bus in the sky and it's not that interesting yeah. Yeah, and not only that, too, um, when we're driving like that, you know, Tara, Tanner's mom, she makes super good meals. Like, we rarely will stop, like, other than at a gas station, we kind of get, like, maybe some fast food snacks or whatever. But for, like, dinner or lunch or something, she always makes, like, pretty good fresh food for us, too. So, big shout out to her as well. Yeah, totally. So, um, coming out to the Midwest more for the Hawkett and then also the ASCS Speed Week, what are some of your favorite facilities out here in my neck of the woods? Um, so I actually haven't had the opportunity to travel too far for racing, uh, back there, but I do know, I want to get back to Port Royal for sure. Port Royal seems like a super cool track. Um, I want to go of, of course, obviously to Eldora and I want to check out, um, Knoxville and all those tracks. And I haven't had the opportunity to yet, but I know talking with Tanner, we got a lot on the horizon and a lot planned for the future. So we're hoping to get back there soon. Yeah. Knoxville is pretty awesome. I go out there every year for 360 nationals guy are you are you coming out this year uh that's up tanner we'll see all right awesome uh so uh how much faster pace are events like ascs events and speed week events how much faster paced are they than 
you know, say like a weekly race at Cottage Grove or Southern Oregon? Yeah, uh, it really just depends too. Cause like, so like on a speed week, the vents are super fast because the goal is to try to get the race team in, get the race over and get the race team out so they can travel to the next track for sure. Um, but when you're on like kind of a weekly night or like a, just like a regular night, a regular schedule, it's kind of more laid back just because you got a lot more local guys, um, people that haven't drive. Like, so when we're up in Oregon, uh, for speed week, we don't have people that come all the way from like, or, or when we are on speed, we have people that come all the way from California, uh, Texas, like long ways of ways. And what they want to do is they want to get there. They want to race right when the race is over. They're going to a uh, car wash to clean the car and just get right to the next track. Whereas on like a regular night, there's so many like supporting classes. Um, so it's kind of more relaxed. It's still like a pretty good fast pace. Um, an outlaw cart like night versus like a uh, sprint car night, two different ball games. Like it's way different. Yeah, the um, when I was pitting for Wayne Johnson with the World of Outlaws, like we all got to the track at like two o'clock and we just hung out and then mm-hmm. got the car ready about thirty minutes before hot laps. Hot laps go. We don't have a break till the race is done. Yep, that's how it, that's how it usually is. Um, the final night actually in Arizona was crazy. Uh, we had a storm come through right during like modified hot laps, and I'm like getting soaked in the infield, and so we had a window between the storm that just passed and then the next storm coming. That's the fastest I've ever seen them run a show. Like literally like Tanner says in the vlog, uh, right. As he's coming out of qualifying, they're calling him up for the first heat race. And, uh, those nights are cool. I kind of feel bad for the fans because when I'm a fan or a spectator and I show up to a race, I want the whole experience. Like you want to enjoy all the racing action between all the classes well, on a night like that, you know, it's kind of rushed. We're like, you know, they paid all this money for a show that maybe lasted an hour or two. And you're like, well, all the racing's done. But also we had a low car count as well because the weather scared off a lot of people. But um, I definitely know what you mean. Like on speed weeks when we get there at like 2 a.m., you wake up in the morning and you got nothing to do all day. Usually you're maintaining the car a good amount, but it's still a good one to two hour rest before the racing starts. And then you don't have a break until the racing's done. So how did you and Tanner get the idea to start a podcast? Um, so I do remember. So like there's been some shows. Uh, I think there was like a la carte podcast um, that have maybe like one or two episodes. And then there was a nightly recap show after Red Bluff. And it was actually called Mullet Media. And Shane, he did a full season of it. And it was awesome. Like people loved it. And then the next season, it was kind of like hit or miss if he did an episode or not. And then you know, eventually he just said, I'm probably going to step back from this. Uh, I just don't have the time or whatnot to do it. So that's when I came up to Tanner. I was like, I, you know, look how much people enjoyed mullet media. And that's just at the Red Bluff Outlaws. Like that's the only people watching it really. Uh, maybe some people from back in the Midwest in the carding, uh, carding world. But I figured, you know, there's so much that actually does happen off camera, like stories that we are super excited to tell on the podcast. Uh, I came to him and we talked for a long time, you know, like we said in the podcast, uh, we just have to have everything kind of happen. Right. And it did, and it lined up. And now here we are, we have a, a new podcast and we got a lot of cool stories to share on that eventually. Yeah. I had Tanner on my podcast, um, back in like September and he was just such a natural behind the mic. And yeah. so as soon as I heard you guys were going to start a podcast, I was really excited. Yeah, it's definitely unique. So like when I'm talking with Tanner, uh, 
it's kind of just natural. Like we're just talking and, you know, it's kind of just like an everyday behind the camera type of thing. But like when I come on to an interview with you or like another interview, when I've been on the radio locally, like I get so much more nervous. Like, I don't know. It's kind of weird um, how that works out, but uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely cool. And I think it's one of the coolest atmospheres uh, being able to do the podcast in our own studio. Yeah. So are you excited to have some nights where, you'll run the dwarf car and Tanner will run the sprint car at the same track. Yeah. I'm super excited to have those nights. Uh, just knowing it though, it's going to be always opposite. So when I'm off the track, Tanner will be on the track, uh, depending on how many supporting classes there are. So like at cottage Grove, you know, if they have the mods, uh, the bombers, the dwarf cars, the sprint cars, you know, uh, there's a good amount of supporting classes. So we might have some time in between to like talk to each other about the track or whatnot. But if it's kind of like speed week where it's just, the bombers, the dwarf cars, and the sprint cars, usually right when one's off the track, the other one's on the track. So um, I, I'm super excited about that. I think it'll be fun. Tanner will definitely be able to give me some tips on, you know, how to read a dirt track, like a bigger track like that, for sure. What really pulled you to the dwarf car outside of like a bomber or a street stock or something like that? Yeah, that's a good question. When we so up in Speed Week, uh, we had these guys that were kind of like pit next to us a couple nights in a row, and they had two dwarf cars, and they actually built their own chassis and stuff. And when I started learning about them, uh, the costs for sure are way down compared to an outlaw car or another race car, as like that you mentioned, like a modified or something like that. And that's something I really enjoy is racing something that you can afford to race. Because like in a sense, I could get a sprint car, but I don't think I could travel to as many events as I'd like to. So really there's no sense for me to do something that I can't necessarily afford all the way. Whereas a dwarf car, uh, there's so many races that we can go to. Uh, it's a fairly cheap division. You can build a lot of the stuff yourself. Uh, you get to work on a lot of the things yourself. Whereas like an outlaw cart, you're kind of, our manufacturer for QRC is actually 20 minutes down South and red bluff from me. And, uh, you know, everything on outlaw car is kind of fit to a QRC chassis. So you have to buy QRC parts. Whereas a dwarf car, there's so many different manufacturers, a lot of people that build their own things, their own parts, and they manufacture their own things, which I think we're going to start doing too, which cuts costs and, uh, just makes for a different, a whole different like playing field. So you're always going to be competitive, whether you're upfront or last in a race, pretty much because, you know, those are the other cars that you're racing with. Yeah. So the dwarf cars, they definitely seem a little bit more like not limited to one type of part. And mm -hmm. you can also be competitive um, and like have a competitive field and be able to travel more with, you know, less money than a full-time sprint car racing team. Absolutely. Yeah. Sprint car team, uh, super, super expensive, but although like a sprint car is super cool, like super fun. Like I enjoy sprint. I love all racing. Really. I don't care what it is. If you're racing, I love it, but like a dwarf car, there's just so many different manufacturers and I'm not saying other divisions don't have, you know, the, the different manufacturers and the different challenges and whatnot, but the dwarf car always has like, there's just kind of new, manufacturers that build certain specific parts that like you can combine everything to build your car exactly how you'd like to have your car built pretty much yeah so you can really have it fine-tuned to match your driving style yeah. and your the different aspects of a car that you like oh yeah 100 percent. like um so the new a arms upper control arms and lower control arms and whatnot we got are from chuckle horde 
up in uh, Grants Pass, Oregon, and he just started manufacturing these. And I think, in my opinion, they're way beefier, way stronger than like maybe, let's say, uh, some of the other manufacturers in the industry. And then if you look at some of the other guys, they're like upper control arms are weird. Like they're just shaped awkwardly. And I just don't think like durability wise, you know, you get one wrong right rear, your left front's getting taken off for sure. Whereas Chuck stuff, I think we'll be able to take some hits once in a while and uh, keep on trucking throughout the race. Yeah, the the dwarf cart seems like it would handle a lot differently than an outlaw cart because an outlaw cart has such a fast steering ratio that you don't have to turn the wheel much to get a whole lot of front wheel movement. Whereas the dwarf cart, you, you'd have to uh, work the wheel a little more. Absolutely, yeah. That's one of the things, uh, like I said, I haven't really got the opportunity to drive one of these things yet. I've only sat in one and then uh, you know, watched them race. So it's gonna be a whole new experience for me to learn, but I'm super excited. Plus they have power steering which the outlaw carts, uh, you don't really need power. Like you don't really, you, you get a little tired. You don't get too bad, but I couldn't imagine some of these guys run the dwarf cars without power steering. And I'm like, there's no way in heck I could do that. So I'm super glad we got power steering for sure. Yeah. Those are pretty heavy cars. Um, do you eventually after running dwarf cars want to go to something like a modified or a late model or a sprint car? Uh, absolutely. I always like to look on my horizons to like see what I'd want to go into next. Uh, modifieds look like super fun, like a UMP or an IMCA modified would be super cool. Uh, really, the best part about dwarf cars, though, is the reason we're racing them is because it's kind of what's a big class local to us. Whereas like if I got into a sprint car or something, we got a good amount of local shows, but you do got to travel a good amount back to the Midwest, whereas a dwarf car, uh, you know, within a couple hours, you got just about all the big national races, you know, kind of in our backyard in a sense. Yeah. So um, the modifieds, yeah, they definitely seem really fun. I've had a, a couple of USMTS guys on the show. So the, it seems like they would drive similar to a dwarf car because they, they have, you know, the uh, right, the left rear kind of pops up a little bit on both cars from what I've seen. So it seems like that would be a pretty good stepping stone from the dwarf car to the modified. Yeah, I I like the dirt stuff. Uh, if I had an opportunity to go asphalt, I definitely would. Um, I'm a huge fan of like asphalt racing. And I know uh, in some of my TikToks, I've asked the community, like, what do you like more dirt or asphalt? Because I'm torn. I love dirt racing. I love asphalt racing. I see the racing and dirt racing and I see the racing and asphalt racing. And I know some people are know super far left or super far right on the whole topic or like oh dirt racing all the way whereas uh you know eventually i might go from a dwarf car maybe into like um a late model or something like that um i just love the asphalt sense of things just because they have a lot more like uh more say like a cat and mouse type of race where it is you you have to set up your moves in advance and you have to do the same on dirt but i feel like your moves on dirt are so much more faster so much more like uh, quick reaction time, whereas compared to asphalt, you know, you might need a couple laps to catch the guy. And then once you catch the, catch the guy, you got to time your move correctly to get into the corner and pass him. Yeah, you got to get that momentum going over a couple of laps where in dirt, you can kind of just send it and see. Yeah, what you can just you can just go ahead and bonsai some guy and just throw the right rear hook is hook is left side, send him to the fence. It don't really matter. You're just going to be fighting afterwards. That's all. Yeah, I saw the video of you and Tanner running that uh, three-hour enduro at um, sunrise or something. Yeah. Um, so 
was that kind of what got you really excited about asphalt racing? Uh, I think before that, so local to me, I think like five tenants, five, 10 minutes from my house, we have Shasta Speedway. And then when I was younger, they used to run there like really often. And so my dad coming from NASCAR, uh, I've always been like a fan of NASCAR and whatnot. And he knows asphalt or he knew asphalt quite a bit. And so when we'd go watch there, uh, I always was like, I want to race a legend car. I want to race like, uh, the late models. They just sound so cool. They're so good. Uh, they look super racy. And when we were racing at sunrise with Brandon on his track, so Brandon's the track promoter at, uh, the Red Bull Outlaws now. And then he used to own his track at his house called sunrise speedway. And we had a Wednesday night league where it was outlaw carts. And we just put like 55 compound or like 50 compound tires on <clears throat> and they would get super hot and sticky. And we would run hundred lap main events on this little track, uh, I'll tell you what, though, the most tiring car I've ever drive drove was the Sunrise car just because the G-forces you're pulling on that deal. But um, that was a that was a super fun thing. And I hope Brandon maybe pulls it pulls it back out of retirement here sooner or later and we can get out there and run some more laps on it. Yeah, it looked pretty fun. It looked very fast. It looked it looked like the video was like sped up one point two five times. Yeah, for a, a Predator 212, like a hundred dollar motor from Harbor Freight. Uh, you know, a nine really a $89 motor from Arbor Freight. If you get the discount, you really can't beat that. Like the amount of racing you get to do at Brandon's track for so cheap on a Wednesday night is so much fun, especially in between races. We're like racing the, uh, the sunrise cart. And then, you know, this weekend we're going to go race outlaw cart. You really just get to maximize what you get to race. And I think on asphalt too, it definitely translated into the dirt world. Uh, just keeping that steering wheel super smooth. Like you can't, you can't just throw it in there like you could on dirt and overcorrect where on asphalt, you have to be super smooth with every move, especially when you're going to overcorrect. Uh, you don't want to hook her the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, I have a predator 212 on my yard cart. The problem is I don't really have much of a yard, so I don't really, it's kind of just sitting in the garage, but it, yeah, it, it can make some pretty good power if you have it, you know, geared right. Yeah. I have three, two twelves. Uh, I've done some of my own port work and whatnot on them. I've messed around with them and it's always funny. Me and my friend Blake always kind of have the joke, like we're getting ready to run the yard cart nationals. And actually at Lakeport, I've been seeing this pop up more. Uh, the like caged clone class, uh, clone, clone class. Yeah. They run the two twelves and they're pretty much just outlaw carts on dirt, but just with the two twelves and they're starting to, they're starting to get a huge field of them. And I think the reason behind that is, is because it's so affordable, really. I mean, like I said, shoot, if we're running motors that cheap, I may as well pull one off for each event. I'll have a qualifying motor, heat race motor, and a main event motor. Yeah, and they're, they're like the Lego of engines because you can just swap them out really easy. It's just four holes that you can put bolts in. Oh, yeah, 100%. <clears throat> Plus, you can, you can like modify them in a sense to how you want them. Like if you can pull the governor gear out of them if you want, or you could just detach the governor arm. Uh, there's a little speed secrets you can do with the carburetor and whatnot. But just depending on the class you're running with them, most of the time they're stock. And when you keep it stock, you keep it cheap. And when you keep it cheap and stock, you keep it competitive. And I really like that about them. Yep. Well, Bennett, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Um, if you don't mind, I was going to thank some of my sponsors here, too. Uh, we had Nestle. Yeah, we had Nestle Nesquik coming back on board with us. So uh, love chocolate milk from Nesquik. We have Crown Motors coming back on board as well for the 2021 race season. And we also have a new sponsor that I'm super excited about. 
Uh, Big Valley Sanitation is going to come on board with us for the 2021 race season. But uh, other than that, yeah, thank you for the invite and having us on here. Yeah. So that'll wrap up my interview with Bennett Gooch here on the Bench Racing Podcast presented by Premium Sprint Parts. Big thanks to Bennett for taking some time out of his busy schedule to record an interview on the show with me. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe, rate, and review. That really helps spread the show to new listeners. If you'd like to submit a listener voice message, go to anchor.fm slash podcast slash message. Feel free to contact the show on Facebook and Twitter. Facebook is at The Bench Racing Podcast, and Twitter is at BRP Pod. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week with another great interview.